to the Christian Witches Podcast. Today is a fascinating conversation with Michael Therese McQueen, who practices Catholic conjure and Catholic folk magic. He is also a tarot reader, and you can find him on Instagram at Saintly Tarot Mystic. Now, one of the things that was so fascinating to me about Michael is this incredible relationship he has with the saints and how he has made it palpable, visceral, and the saints are present in every aspect of his life. He has a fascinating background, which includes Baptist, currents, uh, Catholic currents, when I say currents, I mean currents of energy. Uh, He also has training in Shinto. So this is really a fascinating conversation with a teacher who teaches in the Inner Alchemy Mystery School. This is a delicious conversation with Michael Therese McQueen. This is part one of two parts Part one is the audio version, or the audio. Um, Part one is audio only, (laughs) I guess is what I'm looking to say. And part two is video. So part two of this conversation you can find on YouTube at the Christian Witches YouTube channel and the Valerie Love TV YouTube channel. Because I wanted folks to be able to see Michael as well as hear him. So the audio was filmed on Clubhouse. So if you follow The Christian Witches Club in Clubhouse, you can go to Clubhouse, and I believe the recording will be there as well. And we put the recording here on the podcast, this conversation here on the podcast. So all of our podcast listeners, that's you all over the world, could hear this amazing conversation. Let's get into it. bring you up to stage. Hola. Oh, this is going to be such a good conversation. I'm so intrigued to speak with you. Oh I'm my goodness, so Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and you're early. I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. You are a consummate professional in addition to being a spiritual master and teacher. So I can appreciate that blend of qualities. That's beautiful. It's it's great. Like you know, I, I I'm gonna tell the joke, and it's and I know it's bad, but it's like you know, I lived in a family where my grandfather was on constant CP time, and so I vowed. <laughs> I know the feeling. Like, yeah, and so it's like you know, he would show up. You would tell him one time, and he would show up an hour later. And so I I vowed. I was like, I will be on time. Oh my goodness. Well, I love that. That's a beautiful vow. That is a beautiful vow. (laughs) You know, Michael, when I was in Kenya, I realized that we got it honest. People are maybe of the diaspora because Mm -hmm. uh, we went to an event that was on a Friday night and they said it was uh, starting at like eight or nine. Well, we got there around eight, nine. No one was still was there yet. Ten, a few people trickled in by 11. It was full on pumping. And I said, oh, I see. The time is just a suggestion around here. It's just a suggestion. Yeah. 
it's funny because being Catholic, um, I, there's a lot of Latino communities that I've been involved with, especially with the Catholic charismatic movement. And um, it, it was the same thing. It made me not feel bad about my CP time because it's like, you know, it was like the priest would be an hour late. Like it was, we were supposed to start at eight. Like it would start at like nine something and we wouldn't get out until like three o'clock in the morning. So it's not. Oh, just my that. goodness. OK, OK. <laughs> well, at least you get your money's worth once you get going, huh? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, Michael, you reminded me of a. Is it is it a good to call you Michael? What shall we call you? Since this is the first um, conversation, I am very open about um what name people call me. Uh, the joke is within my friend group. I was like, you can call me Mike. You can call me Michael. You can all call me Hey Yo Bitch. You know, <laughs> like, you know? As long as you smile when you say it, okay, Hunty, yeah. don't play. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness okay good so i'll call you michael so you know before we get dive into our conversation which we're going to do uh right now i'm just pinging a couple of people into the room and everyone in the room ping people into the room and absolutely tap that little greenhouse at the top and follow christian which is the, the the club and join the club because this is not a follow situation this is a situation where we're all in together so i uh, realize, Michael, that you are helping me fulfill a vision and a dream I had because a long time ago I had a dream called for a show called um, Which Way to God, W-I-T-C-H, Way to God, where I would just go around the world and interview like in their space, interview all different magical practitioners like what do they do because I'm intensely curious super curious that's a nice way of saying i'm nosy but super curious <laughs> and i love that i'm gonna i'm gonna start using that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uber curious super curious but really i'm nosy <laughs> <laughs> and i love seeing how people practice their magic i'm intrigued i'm drawn in and I'm really um, a researcher at heart, too, and somewhat of an anthropologist deep in my spirit. So I love how people worship. I love devotion. I love finding out how do people connect. And everywhere I've been on the planet, from India to Kenya to Bali, Peru, throughout the Americas, uh, throughout the Caribbean, everywhere I've gone, Dubai in the Middle East, I go to the holy houses. I've been to the 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 uh, ashrams and the temples in India. And you know the 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 holy man there puts the the um, dot on your forehead to indicate that you have been. Everybody knows who's been to the temple in in India because you got the stuff on your head. Okay, we know. It's like, it's like Ash Wednesday for Catholics. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, you went and you got your blessing. Okay, very good. You got your blessing. <laughs> you good. You good. But if you don't have it, we kind of looking at you sideways like you you ain't trying to get no kind of blessing up in here. <laughs> you bring them down the property values for all of us. Okay, now we all in this together. Go get some kind of blessing. Now you ain't got to get the same one from somewhere. <laughs> you, let's add to this uh, dynamic here, right? Let's help each other. So... What I found with all the holy houses, I'm super intrigued. I love, love, love how we worship. I love, I've never met a spiritual path, spiritual tradition, tradition, holy house that I didn't absolutely love. So they're not all what I'll do, right? right. As we know, we can't do all of that. There will be something that will speak to you for you to do. And that's what I do. And 
I love seeing what other people do. I love it. So, whew, I've got the God bumps now. I know this is going to be a good conversation. So, no, Michael. <laughs> I just want to really affirm that because that's very much how I I operate also. I've, I've lived in Japan. I've lived in Italy. Um, I've been around the world. But it's just I, I love seeing the different ways that the divine manifests um, throughout humanity. Um, other than kind of Catholicism and folk Catholicism, I'm also a practitioner of Shinto, um, which we can talk about a little bit in this conversation also of how that ties in. Um, but uh, just that idea, like all my ex-boyfriends will tell you that I would drag them around to every temple and every church, um, just cause it's like, <laughs> I love to see. <laughs> and it's just like, and I love to experience, you know, I love to experience that, um, that pervasiveness of the divine and how the divine manifests um, throughout the world and in individual lives. So I definitely resonate with everything that you just said. Wow, I love what you're saying because that was the exact experience I had being in all these different holy houses. And family, I'm outside because I wanted to be out under the clear blue sky for this delicious conversation. I'm surrounded by a ton of plants here in Mexico and I, I feel free and open. So if you hear birds, if you hear, I'm in a quiet place yet, I'm still outside. So if you hear wind, if you hear birds, they're part of our conversation because we're in nature and I'm in nature and I love that question for you so the first question i want to ask you uh, that that kind of sparked as you spoke of being in japan and uh, do you have a sense that if we expose ourselves to many other cultures and people that it uh, accelerates or catalyzes our ability to recognize the divine every i definitely think that that's the truth i think that as we expose ourselves i think what happened um, it's why we take a particularly Christian perspective is that Europe closed itself off. And I think of those early roots of Christianity, especially into the Middle Ages, and kind of the definition of um, extra nullis salis or no salvation outside the church really closed off um, from a Christian perspective, the kind of pervasiveness of the divine. And I think um, as we start experiencing and learning about the, the ways that different people approach the divine and the way that people practice um, their spirituality and their path to the divine, we become so much broader in our understanding of who and what God is and that God is a part of us. Like, you know, God is not something separate from us. And I think it just broadens that horizon of I see God in you, you see God in me, but also that I can see God in the rest of creation and that we're all connected in kind of this divine um, interconnection. Um, I like to think of it, if you've never watched the documentary, um, Fantastic Fungi, um, the mycelium, you know, the mycelium. Oh my connects. goodness, the mycelium network. Oh yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, like we're all connected in this interconnection of the divine. And it's like, you know, this kind of interflowing that um, connects all of humanity and all of creation, the animals, the trees, um, the fungus, right down to every cell and bacteria. Um, that interconnection, I think we understand that more when we can kind of broaden our scope outside of just kind of the narrow kind of doctrinal um, understanding that we've all kind of been raised up to and raised up to kind of follow in line. I love that. 
because that that's the experience that when I've encountered all these holy houses, the divine was in all of them. You it, palpable right there. Like the divine was right there with us. Every in all of it, in a in a in a you know in a hut in with the Maasai in Africa, in a drum circle, uh, in in Peru plant medicine, in Bali, in the Hindu temples in Bali, everyone, the divine was right there as yes. a palpable right felt experience. Like I'm here, I'm here. So you kind of can't keep saying well god is just with us you know i don't think most magical people think that but i do think we run into that uh, on the planet and i think we're eliminating that idea on the planet so what is catholic conjure so catholic conjure is a very broad term for a lot of different um magical traditions that are practiced in a catholic context um the more common um, term for Catholic conjure that you'll hear is Catholic folk magic. Um, and Catholic conjure has become kind of the new catch-all term for these many different tr traditions. So Catholic conjure is a magical worldview that is brought into a Catholic worldview. So um, as, our, as we know, many of our ancestors had this kind of magical worldview um, where, you know, everything was interconnected. We're all connected with each other and connected to the divine. And as um, time changed, um, you know, we had this understanding of religion. And so we brought this context of a magical worldview to our religion, whether it was the polytheistic um, religions of Rome, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, um, with their different deities, that magical um, worldview was kept intact. And so when Christianity came on the scene, our ancestors integrated um, that, that worldview into the Catholic practice of the devotional practices of the Catholic Church. And so that is the very, in a nutshell, understanding of Catholic conjure. <laughs> That's quite amazing because I'm hearing you saying things that I've never heard before, and I love that. Um, I love fresh perspectives. I have never heard of Catholic folk magic. And until last night when I was doing my research on your incredible work in the world, and I saw your video, uh, the teaching that you did for Inner Alchemy Mystery School, uh, on the Strega Mystica YouTube channel. And I was intrigued. I was intrigued. Well, the first point of intrigue that I had for you was when I watched you on Instagram, I hopped over, someone I think tagged us in something similar, and I hopped over to your Instagram and I saw your shadow box and I was in love. So the shadow boxes, and then I dug deeper and I looked at your saints and I looked at and I thought I this is not the usual like this isn't the you know draw a circle on the ground witchy things that people like to do which is beautiful this was something so sacred and it seemed so deeply personal that you had really fleshed out your path which is really what spirituality is about right walking your path so how did all that 
So I, I have to start off that with I wasn't raised Catholic. Um, I was raised Southern Baptist, and so oh know, typical, wow, um, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you was raised with Jesus and nothing but Jesus, okay, yeah. and fried chicken, fried always. chicken and Jesus, right? <laughs> fried chicken and Jesus, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need in life: fried chicken and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, so I was raised in this very, um, kind of Baptist household and it wasn't, we weren't the kind of Baptists that were like, we weren't in church like every day, but we, like we did, we did the Sunday thing and my family is from South Carolina. Um, so there is a little bit of kind of hoodoo root work kind of in that, that I would hear about in my family. The, like the, the gala and the Geechee and, and that, uh, of in that vein, exactly. So like, you know, like little things that um, we would talk about in my family. My family didn't have a solid practice. Um, they, they, we had long lost that a long time ago, but we would talk about things um, like, you know, the ancestors returning as red birds and um, the ancestors were a very palpable part of my life of kind of, um, you know, my great grandmother died when I was really young, but we would always talk about her in a way like that she was still here and that she would still help us and she would still give us guidance. And so I look at that and as I look back at kind of my life and my practice that I have now, that these were really kind of the seeds to prepare me for the work um, that I would have later in life um, as, as, a, as a magical practitioner, not so much in this hoodoo vein, but more in this Catholic folk magic vein. Um, I also want to call to mind that my mother had a rosary that laid around the house when I was young. I was your mother, a, your Baptist mom had a rosary? My mother had a rosary that she would keep, that she would keep um, in a drawer. And so a little bit background about that. My mother had been gone to Catholic school when she was in New York. And so it was something that always stayed with her. Um, and so I remember as a child, just kind of like being fascinated by this rosary. And like, I would play with it and I would like throw it around my neck and wear it as a necklace. And it's just something that now, as I look back, is something that really kind of um, planted those seeds for my spiritual progression. Um, when I was in eighth grade, um, my mother took me out of public school and put me into Catholic school. And I attended St. Joe's, um, St. Joe's Elementary School and High School from six, from, um, nope, it, it was sixth grade, sixth grade until I finished high school. And St. Joe's was just a magical time for me. And it opened up this whole new world of saints and spirituality and the Virgin Mary. And um, the context of the school is that the school was very old world Italian. And so um, we weren't um, very interested in kind of the church and her doctrines. Um, what I was taught was the lives of the saints and how the saints could help you and how the Virgin Mary could help you. And it was all about the connection with the saints. So from a very early time, I developed this very intense um, relationship and this very um, deeply and personal relationship with the, with the persons of the myriads of Catholic saints and particularly the Virgin Mary um, as a whole. Like, you know, and I think um, being a child of a single mother and coming from a very matriarchal family, which most African-American households are um, very matriarchal in their terms, that figure of the Virgin Mary um, really appealed to me um, more than even Jesus did sometimes because it was that strong 
feminine image um, that really drew me in. That is so powerful. Wow. Now I have a question. This is this is eliciting a question for me. When we were when we were being raised by our parents, they gave us something, many things. And what I'm seeing kind of in my third eye is that they gave us like this big backpack, right? Let's call it the religion or the religious practices that we were brought up in. And our goal wasn't the, the idea wasn't to carry that whole backpack for your whole life. It was to scavenge through it, maybe like a scavenger hunt, and pull out the gold. Like somewhere in there, there were gold nuggets in that backpack or that big bag you got. And I think maybe a lot of us just carry the satchel and don't even think about it, rather than go in there and get the gold. Like I heard you say that you didn't resonate with some parts of it, hopefully I'm getting this accurate, yet the aspects that you did resonate with, you were able to draw those from Catholicism and, and being a Baptist and go forward in a powerful spiritual practice with the gold from your upbringing without being angry. Did you have an angry period? Because I don't know if... Uh, if you had that, I had that when I came out of Christianity for a while, I was mad. Like, y'all didn't tell me the right thing. Y'all fooled me. Hey, it ain't like this. Um, and I met some people that were angry for a while when they woke up and really began their spiritual journey. I don't know if this is a lot of questions that I'm asking all in one, but what is your take? You gotta give me a minute. Sometimes I'm new to like um to Clubhouse, so I'm not sure how everything works. So just um bear with me. Oh, good. That. You're doing um, great. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but um for me, I look at my spiritual journey as mm -hmm. kind of um taking the next right steps. I don't think I ever had an angry period um for those reasons. Um, because for me, it was like, all right, so my parents put me in Catholic school. And I was so drawn by it. And I was so enamored by the different mystical things that I was learning that I never thought of it as kind of a, a thing to be angry or a thing to be like, you didn't teach me all of this. It was more kind of like, oh, this is different. Like, you know, it was very much an of idea of this was, was different. Um, and of course, I think where my angriness came from um, was that when I, I was, I must have been like 12 or 13 years old when I started um, putting interest into wanting to become Catholic, that I had so much pushback from my family, which now that I, I, I look back on, it should have been expected. Um, uh, from your Baptist family, you from mean? From my Baptist uh, family. Yeah. Even though your mom, from your mom too, even though she had put you in a Catholic. And I think, so my mom was more concerned. So my mom, I have to, I have to give my mom credit because no matter what spiritual path um, I've embarked on, my mother has been my greatest cheerleader. Um, she just wants me to like, make sure like this is right for me. And I think that that was my, my mother's main concern. The main pushback that I got back was really from my grandparents and more, more particularly my grandfather who is, is a staunch anti-Catholic, and he'll tell you to this day how much he can't stand the Catholic Church. Um, but Wow, um, is that your mom's dad or your dad's dad? That's my mom's dad. How did he, did he voice any of that when your mom put you in Catholic school? No, because I think um, it was, it was, 
because they put her in Catholic school. And wait I a minute, just, the, you know, the staunch Baptist anti-Catholic put them in Catholic school. Uh, so I, I, I need to clarify. So my grandfather didn't start going to church until maybe I was around the age, maybe 15 or 16. And so, but, but I think just coming from the South and just kind of being entrenched in that mindset. Um, and also like, I think a lot of kind of the um, teachings, the official teachings of the Catholic church just turned my grandfather off. Um, but I think from an outsider perspective, it's kind of, why does anybody put their kids in Catholic school? Because it's that they're going to get a good education, you know? And I think that that's- Okay, fair enough. I like yeah. <laughs> and so I think that was kind of the mindset. I don't think anybody ever expected me as, um, we say in sociology, to go native. <laughs> and so- uh, <laughs> They're like, you're just there to get the good education. We don't actually want you to practice this stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's like you don't you go there to get the A's, like not to become. Wow. And, I, and, I <laughs> and so I think it was really um I think it was kind of a shocker um for the older half of my family that like I took to this as much as I did. Um so my mother's um only thing was is that she wait until I was eighteen um to to become catholic and to officially enter the church so like you know i i went to church to mass every sunday for from 12 to 18 teen until i could officially um join the catholic church and on easter of um 2008 i, I officially entered the catholic church <laughs> wow i even heard in your class that you were going to go into the become a priest what happened so, um, so, you know, I, I, I had all these aspirations of entering the priesthood. And I think this is a good time to say that I do identify as a gay man, um, which adds a whole nother layer of um, complication to everything. Um, so I did go to St. John's University, um, where I, um, I did earn my degree in theology um, from St. John's University. Um, and I think that that's where my interior struggle started, because as I said, kind of my early um, understanding of Catholicism is like, you know, St. Joe's, all we talked about was, was Mary and the saints. You know, it was all about kind of that connection to Mary, the saints, and um, the liturgy and the devotional practices. And so, like, you know, I get to St. John's and, like, people are, like, talking about things. And I was like, like, these things of, like, doctrine and, like, the church's stance on, like, homosexuality and stuff like that. And I'm like, don't you just want to, like, like no, pray and no, 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 this is <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was not it. Like, you know, and I think that that's where I first started having um, that interior struggle um, about my place um, within the church and what I felt God was calling me to do at the time. And I think it was many, many a nights where I would just kind of cry myself to sleep because it's just like I didn't know where I, I really fit in with the structure um, of this institution and how this would work out for me. Because it's like, you know, like I wanted to to be in service to the divine and the community. But at the same time, like, you know, like I wanted the family, I wanted um, that close relationship. And it was it was a real struggle for those um, five years of university um, of really kind of 
trying to find my place in that. Um, during that time, um, it's funny because I dated a boy who was in the who entered the seminary while we were dating. And, oh wow, that is <laughs> yeah. cool. It was it was a horrible relationship. I oh don't my goodness, anybody doing it? <laughs> oh wow, was that um, because both of you were having an inner struggle about it, or what? Made it was, it was, I think for him, it was again, like, you know, being in an environment where it's like, you know, you're expected to be celibate and I'm going to, I'm going to give the big, the big secret of Catholic seminaries. Um, almost everybody in those entry levels are dating or doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so no one's really celibate. Well, I don't even think it's natural to, to make yourself have to be celibate. I mean, if that's what your thing is and that's your calling, but as a blanket rule for all these people that are going to do this thing i just think it goes against uh, human nature it, i agree i i agree and i think it causes a lot of issues which we won't go into this conversation but i think it was the struggle for him of um of trying to figure out what his vocation was and then at the same time being with me and then being in this environment which was so staunchly orthodox in its approach and so staunchly homophobic in its approach um, that that caused a lot of tension. And then, of course, I'm still having um, these discernment issues. Also, like, you know, um, and during this time, I took some time and, and I was in the monastery. Um, I was um, discerning um, the Mercedarian order. And what's the interesting about that is this, this is when I really, the opening of my magical path um, really starts is when I was in the monastery. Um, at oh, that, that is amazing. Yes. <laughs> and so um, when I was in the monastery, I met um, my good friend Scott, and me and Scott um, had this very intense connection on a spiritual level, um, and a friendship really started from that. Um, so Scott Scott stayed in the monastery. I got kicked out because somebody posted something on my Facebook that the superior didn't like. And they were like, basically, well, like, good. Because <laughs> I got kicked out of the witnesses, too, because they thought I was an absolute hellion and uncontrollable. So I'm. Yes. <laughs> and so um, so I, they were like, don't call us. We'll call you. And um, and so I, I left the Mercedarian monastery and Scott was in there. Um, for a while until he had a run-in, um, which we won't expose all of Scott's business, but Scott got kicked out also. Um, okay, yeah. And, and then um, we, me and Scott just had this friendship, and eventually Scott um, um, had revealed to me, he's like, you know, Michael, like, you know, my family, um, we're practicing witches. And I was like, and at the time I was like horrified. Like, you know, really, I, <laughs> that's fascinating because you were not yet really deeply entrenched in a magical path yet. Is that and so? So this is when the, the bulb clicked, um, the blood, the bulb really um, clicked for me is when he was explaining because um, Scott's family um, is originally from Sicily. And so they practiced um, the Sicilian form of Streganeria, the Sicilian form of rich witchcraft, which is um, which his family's particular tradition was intensely Catholic. Um, the manifestation of it was of one of working very closely with the saints and working through his spirit work. And Scott was the one who taught me how to divine 
um, to do divination with the holy cards, you know, the little prayer cards that you get. And so that- Oh my goodness. I I collected so many of them when I was in Sedona at the Chapel of the Holy Cross, because I just love going to that chapel and sitting. I had some pretty profound, intense healing experiences in there and on the retreats that I lead. It's always a place where we go. And downstairs, they have all these cards with all the saints. There's like, they're all just like a dollar laminated cards. And I would just buy them and buy them and buy them. And I would give them out. I've got a stack of them right now. I did not know you can do divination. So yes, again, kind of that intense devotional um, relationship with the saints. And it's uh, that with doing divination with the holy cards, you need to know a lot about the saints. And because I had been raised, um, not really raised, but I had been in this, um, this culture that was intensely Italian-American, I realized, I was like, oh shit, this is what I've been doing basically my whole life since I was 12 years old, you know? And it finally, I had this kind of like, oh shit moment of the reason of why I never fit into this kind of orthodox, kind of doctrinally centered idea of Catholicism, because I had been doing the magical thing all along from the time that I was in sixth grade all the way up until I had this moment. I was like, and it was like, holy fuck like you know and it's like i've been practicing the witchcraft all this time yeah that's amazing that's amazing and so and so that's when i think i had that that shift moment of of this is like the reason why i've understood so differently and the reason my practice has been so different from all of my um from all of my peers and all those who i've had discussions with um, over the time of um, earning this degree, um, it's why it never really added up. Because it's like I've had this magical kind of mystical worldview from the beginning. And it's like it was so absent from um, the college perspective and the, the kind of the indoctrination that I was being given. And so it was just like a moment where I was like, I had this shift and I was like, you know, this is for me. And Scott really became my first mentor um, along the magical path and along this kind of magical manifestation of Catholicism. That is amazing. That That is, that's quite the circuitous route like spirituality is. It's not this one straight line, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's this integration and you see that all along you've been on the path, which is beautiful discovery. Yeah. What do you uh, say about the saints? What if, if people really want to understand the saints, how to integrate the saints? And by the way, you taught a great class on this in the Inner Alchemy School. So I would definitely link to the Inner Alchemy School as well. That if people want to start cultivating relationship with, relationships with the saints. Now, I don't have anything Catholic in my background. I was never... I'm really deeply affiliated with Catholicism. I love it because when I go to the churches, when I was in France, I went to Notre Dame. And I mean, I just walked around in there and weeped. I mean, just weeped. Like the, the, the stained glass, the beauty, the saints, the, the incense, the holy water. Catholicism is pretty much magical already to me. So... What would you say to people who would love to have a relationship with the saints? How do they go about doing that, especially if they don't have any kind of 
background or connection to Catholicism. So that's a very, um, it's, it sounds like such a simple question, but it's a very, it's a very loaded question because it's like, there's so many different ways to approach the saints. Um, even if you come from um, a Christian background that may not be Catholic, or even if you come from a polytheistic background um, and have, have wanted nothing to do with Christianity, um, there's lots of different um, ways to approach the saints. And I think the first way of, the most easiest way to approach the saints is looking at the saints as ancestors. Um, and looking at them as ancestors of kind of spirit and ancestors of practice and ancestors of, um, of um, place and things like that. And I think that there's different ways to kind of enter into this practice. But I tell people, like, you know, the easiest way to do it is, is find a saint that has something in common with you, whether that be a career, whether it be a passion or a hobby, um, find somebody who has something in common with your life path and what you're doing in the present moment, uh, because it's an easier way in. And at the end of the day, saints are basically, saints are real people. Like, you know, they come with our personalities, they come with um, their senses of humor. Some of them have tempers, some of them, um, some of them will will fight for you to the end. Um, and I think it's really about finding that common ground with a certain saint or a particular um, entity that really starts off that place of relationship and that the church has also oh, oh, many thousands of saints and we're just talking about the saints that are officially canonized and recognized. We're not even talking about folk saints um, that are kind of outside of the church's official purview, but I mean even just within the church's catalog of people um, that you can um, that you can work with and the people that you can develop these relationships with, it, I say find somebody who has something in common with you and then start there. And if the relationship doesn't work out, like you know that might not be the one for you. It might work out for a time, but start with that common ground. Also, what I've noticed in my life, um, my middle name, which actually isn't my middle name, it's actually my confirmation name, is Therese. Um, and when I look back at my life, um, along with the rosary um, that was in my mother's drawer, um, we, for some reason, we had these prayer cards, the St. Therese around the house also. And so, um, and so I look back um, at my relationship with St. Therese, and St. Therese was always present in my life, um, even when I wasn't completely conscious of it. So I tell people that, you know, look for the signs in your life of saints when they popped up. And it might be something that you never really paid much thought to. And also um, see who's been coming in um, when you weren't exactly paying attention and put that call out there of like, you know, those who have been along my path and have been walking this path with me, even just to unknown, unbeknownst to my, um, to my own um, awareness, like, you know, show myself in the times now and, the, and show myself, give me signs of your presence in my life and they'll do that for you. You know, the as you were speaking on the uh, class, the, the saint that jumped out at me because I, I very much walk my spiritual path according to resonance you know the things that have resonance for me they're like hey look over here like you know out of a sea of things that you could engage 
rather than trying to investigate each one, turn over each stone. Oh, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. I just look at the whole thing. I like in which one is resonating. And it's like that one way over there is sparkling like come here. And then I just step over and around the other stones and go straight to the one that resonates. The one that resonated for me was St. Anna. And when you said that they, her and her husband, were the only two that could actually have sex, not could have sex, but the ones that were venerated actually for having sex because that is Mother Mary's mother. And I am deeply connected with St. Anna because I love the pseudepigrapha. I love reading the, the Bible with the Apocrypha, the lost books of the Bible. These are my texts. And deep in those texts, you do find the story of Mother Mary's mother. And we've never talked about that in Christianity, any Christianity that I was introduced to. So when I heard that Anna was a saint, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. So uh, is that a, an approach people could use? And if so, where would they immerse themselves in this information about saints? Of course, your Instagram would be a great starting. So yes, I think it's it's because there's so many saints and Anna is one of my homegirls. Like I love saying Oh Anna. my goodness. Um, when you said, hey, she was the one they could have sex, I was like, well, wait a minute now. Okay, Catholic Church, y'all open it up a little bit up in here. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's one of those things because there's so there's so many saints. And I think it's like, you know, I I think for me being immersed in the culture like if you if you have a catholic church with a lot of statues like you know i think that resonates so like you know i think in new york going and visiting um some of the more um the more culturally inclined churches because some of the modern churches don't have that much iconography which i i have a bone to pick about but um we'll, we'll talk about that later but like a church that has a lot of iconography and that resonance of going into the church and saying what statue who is it that calls out to you you know who piques your interest i think that that's a definite way of going about it in a way that's um that's kind of organic um and just because like you know i am a scholar and i do have um the background in theology like you know going through the lives of the different saints um there's lots of different anthologies and like you don't have to get like these big scholar anthologies some of my best saint books that I've had in my life have been picture books for children. And because it gives you- Oh, just... wow, I love that. <laughs> and it's funny because it's the, I, I as, as an adult, and um, if you guys, if anybody wants to um, hop on to the video um, presentation, I'll show the picture book that first inspired me um, to really get in touch with the saints when my first year in Catholic school that I found and I bought it as an adult. Um, that even just going through kind of picture books of saints and seeing um, what really jumps out at you, what really resonates with you, what so it could be something in the iconography, something the saints holding, um, something that they're doing, um, really getting kind of a sense for that, reading through the stories and finding yourself in the saints, because that was really for me and Saint Therese, um, it was such her simplicity of approaching spirituality and her idea of like, you know, we become holier people by doing small things with great love. It's not kind of these great works. Um, and that really resonated with me and that really resonated with my spirituality even to this day, that it's really about doing kind of the small thing with great love, 
rather than kind of the large things. So finding those things that really speak to you and that you can really connect with that saint on a soul level. That is exquisite. It's so beautiful. It almost brings tears to your eyes that these little things we do of with just holding the baby, you know, uh, frying the egg with great love, with great love. These, this is, this is what is weaving the tapestry of our lives. And we think it's some big giant thing that we're going to do to save the world, right? We want to be heroes, yet we can be a hero to the universe by simply practicing great love at all times. It's beautiful. It, and it's such a great realization. But with these, um, with the saints, I think that that's really kind of the groundwork with it. I look at kind of work with the saints. I say Catholicism is really, they are the masters of necromancy and spirit work because- Oh, for the, sure. Oh, <laughs> You know, it's like, all we do is talk to the dead. Like, like <laughs> the whole practice is like talking to the dead. It's, it's, a, like, it's a necromancy religion, huh? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, you know. But I think it's what's what's interesting, um, which brings us a been kind of the practice of the folk Catholicism and the Catholic conjure aspects of um of this work with the saints is that it's so embodied. Um, it's such an embodied practice of working with the saints. It's not just kind of like I say the prayer and then I get what I want. No, it's really about relationships. Like, you know, we make offerings to the saints. We light the candles. Um, we sit down and have conversations with the images, um, knowing that the images are just um, receptacles for the spirit of that saint for that time to make them present um, in this moment. Um, and like, you know, it's really kind of that embodied, like, you know, I sit and I have wine with my saints, you know, I offer them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. This, this is relationship. Exactly. It's, it's relationship and it's communion. And it's like, you know, I sit down and I have wine with my saints. Um, we have meal. Like if they're having cookies, I have cookies. Um, you know, if we're having coffee together, we, ha we have coffee together. And it's really that embodied relationship um, that starts that, um, that bond with you on a real soul level. I tell people the saints all the time. It's like sometimes the saints are even realer for me than some of the people that are next to me. Cause it's like, I come home and I have the conversation with them sometimes, like, you know, <laughs> and it's I was just thinking that, I was just thinking that, that they seem very real to you or that they are very. And it's, and it's, as you, and it's true. It's like, you know, I think some people, I, and I see this even within Catholicism of kind of this I, this concept of just kind of like, well, I say the prayer and I'm supposed to get what I want because it's missing that relationship aspect for it. And as you start building that relationship and as you start building that conversation, um, you begin to hear their voice in your life. Um, most particularly, I can talk about St. Lucy because I am a diviner. I am a professional tarot card reader. And St. Lucy is my patron of divination. And there's a whole story with St. Lucy um, that connects to the eyes and that third sight um, that makes her that patron saint of divination. But before I do um, any type of divination work, because I've developed this relationship with St. Lucy, I ask St. Lucy, like, you know, like your voice is my voice. 
and I ask you to kind of speak through me during this time. So I say whatever whatever comes through me, it's what I hear is the voice of Saint Lucy when I'm doing the divination. And she sometimes she tells me point here, like, you know, look at this image and what does this call to mind to you? And sometimes even in my own work as a diviner, um, she has revealed things to me that I could have never have known even with just the cards. And, but it is that, um, that insular relationship of having that conversation and building that gives that way into that work with her. <laughs> this is very fascinating because I saw you with the Saint, with Saint Lucy and the platter and the eyes on the platter and how you all were talking about is the worst appetizer ever, right? But that's where Sacred Eyes Tarot came from. So what's the connection with your work on the so Sacred Eyes Tarot. So from so I should mention the church that I became Catholic in was St. Lucy's Catholic Church. And so Wow. She she claimed you for hers, like the Orisha, they claim your head. She wanted you. And it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned the Orisha because my path of Oshun and Candomblé is syncretized with St. Lucy. Oh, that is so amazing. She's, yeah, <laughs> she's, she's your gal. She's your gal. Yes. And so um, St. Lucy, so the story of St. Lucy, um, so St. Lucy is one of the virgin martyrs. And um, St. Lucy was this beautiful young woman, um, probably around the ages of 13 to 16 um, is when scholarship really thinks that um, um, she, she um, was in her time, in her prime. And she was um, the daughter of a Christian councilman in the Roman period. And so during this time, Christianity was outlawed. And so as the story with many of the virgin martyrs go, some schmuck wants to marry her. And so she refuses because she says, I've given my life over to Christ and I'm the bride of Christ, um, which we can get into a whole bunch of conversation with the Virgin Martyrs and proto-feminism, which I love. I love that conversation. Um, but for the purposes of the story, she refuses this because she's given herself um, over to Christ as a bride of Christ um, and has consecrated her virginity. And so basically, she's the schmuck wants to marry her wants to force her into this so she has her um want to denounce christ and she refuses so she ha he has her tortured and has her beaten and the story goes that wow. the angels come on um, to heal her wounds and like nothing's working but at one point in her torture um depending on which story um you follow um the torturers rip out her eyes and she miraculously restores them. And at that moment of them ripping out her eyes, all her executioners go blind. And after she um, wow. returns, and so after she returns um, the eyes back into her head, um, she also heals all her executioners um, oh. from their blindness. Oh, you you just cannot make this up. The... You can't make it up. Oh my goodness. And so, um, and so in the story after that, um, she's beheaded. And so she finally um, goes to glory, so to say. And, but um, because of this, St. Lucy officially within the Catholic Church is patron saint of those with eye trouble and those who have trouble seeing and things like that. Now on the folk Catholic side, 
we have this connection to her, of course, with the eyes and healing of the eyes, but we have this second um, patronage of her when we talk about folk Catholicism, um, where she's the patron saint of divination, she's the patron saint of mediumship, she's the patron saint of clairvoyancy. Along with St. Clair, if you're more um, familiar with kind of the Latino, um, the Latino conjure tradition, um, St. Clair is usually the ones that they work with, but then the Italian tradition, um, we tend to work with St. Lucy for these um, these um, works of divination, these works of kind of the second sight and mediumship and clairvoyancy. And so that's where Sacred Eyes Tarot come from in honor of St. Lucy, who is my main ally in my work of divination. Um, for honoring her eyes and honoring the sacrifice that she made, and of course her place um, within my work. You know, this is bringing up a, a question for me that every master of their craft in spirit, uh, the path of spirituality and, and ascension, magic, witchcraft, all these, the ones who truly master their craft and are walking a powerful spiritual walk on the planet all have strong relationships with allies, including myself, on the other side, which would only lead me to believe, and I can't make any blanket statements for anyone else, that I don't know if one could be a, a powerful spiritual master on the planet with no connection to powerful entities and beings in other dimensions, whatever you may call them. Uh, some may call them angels, some may call them orishas, some may call them, um, uh, the Lua, the the Loa, have, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, what what is your observation of that? So I think there's a lot of different ways that we can approach the kind of idea of spiritual allyship, because I think a lot of people think that they have to have kind of a theistic worldview excuse me, of kind of these different inner entities and things like that. But I definitely agree, even if it's just kind of like your ancestors that you've developed this strong relationship with, like, you know, that's an allyship. Um, I, I love my spiritual teacher right now, the Shrega Mystica, Gian Michael, because Gian Michael, Gian Michael does take a non-theistic um, point of view and it's like he's like I look at the deities as our oldest ancestors like you know yeah he was quite amazing because he said straight up I'm an atheist and I was like wow that is amazing I so want to talk to him now yes and I think it's such and I think again like you know again broadening our understanding of the divine and how the divine works it's just like you know like if if, if even it's like I have a great um relationship with the goddess Inanna like, you know, but it's like, you know, we can look at the Anana as kind of the manifestation of our oldest ancestor. I look at the saint as, um, the saints as kind of ancestors of spirit and ancestors of the craft and understanding that it's, it's really, there's lots of different ways that we can approach that idea of allyship um, from many different angles. But I think to be a good spiritual practitioner, like, you know, we have to kind of be in touch with that energy of the other side, however we want to name it, whether it be angels, whether it be the saints, whether it be the Orisha, whether it just be our own spiritual lineage and our own um, familial line, there has to be some type of connection there. 
I, that's what I've observed as well, that uh, if you're going to really live a spiritually empowered life, that you have connections with spiritual dimensions. And in your connections with the spiritual dimensions, you've figured out who to stay away from and who to form bonds with, I think, just like humans. <laughs> Somewhat, would you say? I, I look at I look at spirituality as just kind of like it's building relationships. And I think that the relationships that we build are just the same as as human human relationships. Like you're not going to jive with everybody. Like, you know, um, one of my one of my posts on Instagram is also not every saint wants to be your friend. And it's like sometimes <laughs> <laughs> do saints actually sometimes say go away, pick another saint. Like, do they say things like that? Because you just think a saint is like this all good, all benevolent, all being, come everyone, and I will love you, but not really. And I think that's the very human dimension, like, of the saints, Um, because Saint Expedite, who's, like, my home bro, like, I love Saint Expedite, but Saint Expedite will not work with everybody. Like, Saint Expedite would be, will be like, no, you need to try somebody else. And I think, again, I like Yes. And it's it's like, you know, like I even in my own personal relationship with the Saints, me and Saint Anthony had a had a time of like getting to know each other and we're on speaking terms now, but for years we used to fight. Like, you know, we used to fight and he'd just be like it was like I would call up Saint Anthony and I would get the voicemail. Like, you know, he would like put me on the phone. <laughs> your call to voicemail in spirit realms <laughs> i know what you're talking about though i know exactly what you're talking about and you'd be like oh yeah so you don't want to talk to me now okay 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 yeah but i think that's so important to realize is that our spiritual relationships are the same as our human relationships and i think dealing with them as such um makes it so much more real and makes it so much more palpable that these entities and these saints and these spirits have personalities and they have likes and dislikes and they have favorite things just like anybody else they're gonna have things that are in common with you or they might say um you know they might be like this bitch is crazy i don't want to work with her like you know <laughs> <laughs> do a, do about a thousand more lifetimes and then we'll see we'll talk we'll Call talk about more it. lifetimes yeah yeah um, like, you know, and like some, some saints are going to have an affinity to certain people. Um, like I work with, on um, the Madonna di Montevergine, which is a manifestation of the Virgin Mary who is syncretized, um, who is a, a really, is just a modern, um, representation of the goddess Chabelle. Um, but like, you know, this, the Virgin of Montevergine has this particular protection of LGBTQ people. And like you know, like, is she you know, the one that saved the couple that was tied to the tree? Yes, she's the one who saved the couple to the who was tied to the tree, and also in um, the Napolitan area of where she comes from, there's a specific class of transgender women who are sacred to her, um, which again connects back to the legend of Chibele and Addis, and if you know the. Um, the um the story of Chibele and Addis is that Addis was her lover who cheated on her and when he like he like the story's kind of brutal and like he like castrates himself and like Chibele um is um in tears because of um of this of 
Addis's own suicide, that she memorialized him with the tree on um, the sacred tree that's sacred for Addis. But if you know the story of Chibele, that all the Chibele's um, priests had to be castrated themselves. And so when the... Whoa! Yeah. Really? And, and so when the area became Christian, um, they basically dressed Chibele up as the Virgin Mary, and she became the Virgin of Montevergine. And, um, but this tradition of the priest of Chibele and Addis stayed. And so it became this tradition of the Feminelli, this kind of transgender group of women, which are now sacred um, to the person of the Virgin of Montevergine. Very fascinating. So basically what I'm hearing from you and what I've I gathered from your video as well that I was watching, I didn't get all the way to the end, is that there's a saint for everyone and everything. Is that That is absolutely accurate. Like, you know, like if there is, if, if somebody will resonate with you, there's somebody that has walked a similar life path as you, um, or somebody that has something that's a connection to you. And I, I don't know how many people are listening come from a polytheistic or pagan background, but you know, we have saints that are basically just covers for the pagan gods. And I, I tell this all the time, we have saints that are just basically pagan gods that have been, have just, the veil has been thrown over them and they're now the Virgin Mary or somebody else. And so- <laughs> To make them very acceptable in the church, so you don't get yourself killed or exactly. burned at the stake. And so, like, you know, there's, there is a saint for everything and everyone. One of my favorite um, kind of polytheistic connections is St. Christopher, which is who he's just a, a Christian reincarnation of the god Anubis. You know, he has this whole... Whoa, <laughs> really? Very fast. We have iconography of him, even Christian iconography, where St. Christopher is dog-headed. And I was like, the connection is so palpable. And it's, it's clearly like, you know, simply uh, one of the netters of Egypt reimagined for acceptance into the, into the Catholic. At one point, the only Christian uh, strand that survived of all the ones that were kind of competing and now we have the cat and it morphed as it did into Catholicism. So to make the syncretism acceptable, palatable to the people of the current religious fervor, then that was a change ahead. Exactly. And I think, and I always say Christianity was the best marketers. Um, oh yeah, they're super good marketers, man. They spread all over the world. And so what happened was, is a lot of places the church came in and they were just like, hey, you don't have to get rid of this, this celebration. We're not going to get like rid of like, you know, all of this. We're just going to like, you know, we're going to turn the, Di the goddess Diana and um, like, you know, we're going to turn Isis because Isis was worshipped in, in, in Italy. Um, if you look into the Madonna de Libra, um, it's funny, me and my friend Dominic, we just say Madonna de Libra is just Isis with a veil thrown over. Um, wow. And <laughs> But the church came in and was just like, you know, we we won't, we don't want you to get rid of the celebration. We love it. We love what you're doing. Um, we just need you to kind of like change the image. Yeah, like we, we <laughs> so, can't have the Saturnalia. We we can't have the you know the Christmas tree and the Yule log. We can't have it be uh, overtly what you all are saying. So let's just get along. Let's just adopt it into what we're doing here. Hey, we can get these get with these Easter eggs and let's just put it all together. And and can we all get along? Maybe is that 
So it's funny because so there's a celebration in the mountain um, areas of the Appalachian area of Italy um, where there was a snake goddess who was worshipped. And um, when um, Christianity came in, the feast now is the Feast of St. Domenico. But um, interestingly enough, St. Domenico's legend now has him has him having the power to... to um, to take away the venom from snakes, to make snakes harmless. So the so the celebration though, his celebration, because there's so many snakes on this um on this mountain, is that they celebrate him in the exact same way that they would have um the goddess. They drape him in the snakes. They parade him with the snakes throughout the street. Um, the the snakes are bought in the house. People are blessed with the snakes. So it's just like, again, like a lot of the times in the first kind of centuries of Christianity, what happened was, is that the churches kind of came in and was just kind of like, um, it's just like, we love it. Like, we love what you're doing. Just like, we're just going to kind of change the image and just keep what you're doing. Um, it wasn't until we see the much persecution um, of these things until much later um, in, the Christian, in the Christian church, in the Christian history. Yes, which was an unfortunate dark period when uh, it began to turn to this or you die. And uh, that's always going to be an, a contraction for humanity uh, rather than an expansion in consciousness, a more all-inclusive expansion in consciousness, which is what the universe is doing right now and wanting all of us to do. We're going to be having a part two to this conversation and part two to this conversation is going to be taking place by video. So you and I are going to meet up in about an hour and we're going to be on video and uh, it will be recorded and it'll be live on the Christian Witches YouTube channel and the Valerie Love TV YouTube channel. So when we go to that conversation, you all will actually be able to see Michael, which is really amazing because I really enjoy seeing the saints in his space and seeing the shadow boxes. You could feel the veneration, you could feel the energy. So I wanted him on the podcast, I wanted him audio, and I wanted him on video too because this is such a sacred, beautiful path. It is such a, it's an unusual path. You know, I, I felt like, or is it just that I don't know about it? Do, is, would you say it's unusual? So it's funny, when I first entered the magical realm, it felt like I was the only one on this path. I think um, what has happened in the last 10 years um, is really, um, we see kind of the arising of more folk Catholic practitioners. Um, because this, this path, like, you know, anywhere where there's Catholicism, this path really is. Like, you know, we see it in the Italian tradition. Um, we see it in the Irish tradition. We see it in the Spanish tradition. We see it in the South American tradition. Um, it's funny because you being in Mexico, like one of my um, good friends is a Catholic folk practitioner who grew up on a pueblo in Mexico. And so she learned the Brujeria Pueblo. Um, mm, yeah. and so, and so, like, you know, there's such a Catholic element into these different um, aspects of magic. Um, and I think there's such a community now rising up because people are kind of coming out and, like, you know, saying, because a lot of the times back in the day, like, you know, even to the last 40 and 60 years ago, you would never say that you were practicing magic or practicing witchcraft or what even I do. No way. People would, no way. You, you wouldn't survive the 
No, you. it's like you didn't call it magic. You didn't call it witchcraft. Like, you know, it just kind of was something that you did. Like, you know, and it's like, and it was kind of, it was very socially acceptable. And I think that now we're starting to see that people are starting to really admit, yes, this is a magical worldview. Yes, this is a magical practice, even if they don't necessarily um, call it witchcraft, because some people within the Catholic folk magic tradition will call it, they'll, they'll say we're cunning folk, or like, you know, or we're um, practitioners of um folk magic or folk practice um and so like it really depends even nowadays of who you talk to but i think there's much more of a community arising um from these practices and those of us sharing our common views of these practices and an exchange of it now i love that it, it's same thing with christian witches because uh, I always tell people Christian witches is not a religion. It's a spiritual path. And for me, all it means is that I didn't throw out my Bible when I remembered I was a witch. That's all. I just use both. I, I, to me, it's very simple and it's very integrated. And the Bible is a tremendous source of magic and especially the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, the Lost Books of the Bible, the Gnostic Gospels. So I'm really expansive in what I would call a holy book. It goes way beyond 66 books for me. So uh, it, all of this really feeds my spirit like the bible the bible stories the angels the prophets you know the miracles christ you know the the um the mother of mary anna and her issue with wanting to have a child and all of that just so deeply feeds my spirit and to me it's extremely practical like i can use that right now with this problem i have right? It's, it's not just stories. And it feels to me like your practice is very, your magic is very practical as well, because the saints can help you figure out, okay, what am I going to do right now in this situation about this, rather it being some esoteric highfalutin idea that can't solve your earthly problems. Like, I feel like magic needs to be practical too not just esoteric, even though, you know, we have, we deal with some very high frequencies, high energies, and we do deal with a lot of uh, entities and other realms, and we deal with um, a lot of frequencies that don't appear in the third dimension. Yet, if we cannot channel them into the third dimension and make the third dimension so much better for self and others, like, what is the point? So I like your practicality because it feels accessible. Like before you, you, you've made a big change for me because before you, I used to think these saints were some very high elevated beings like, whoa, you know, you just kind of go in the quiet, very quietly in the church and, you know, you kneel and you do your cross before you go into the pew and, and it's just very hard, oh, like they're way up there. And now you're like, oh, I have coffee with them. I drink wine with them. Like they're integrated, really here with me now. That's beautiful. And I think it's important to understand, and I think that the more esoteric philosophical understanding of things is beautiful. And I think it's great. And like, you know, and I think that this is the difference between kind of what we would call folk magic and ceremonial magic is that like, you know, ceremonial magic tends to deal with that much more esoteric, that much more philosoph philosophical bent. But like folk magic is really like, you know, at the end of the day, like this bill has to get paid. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and my knee hurt and can you fix it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, folk, 
And folk magic deals with very earthly, very practical things. It's like, you know, like, you know, it's even with the saints. And I think that this is kind of what I call the, the blip in the matrix with the saints and Christianity um, is that the saints were that earthly connection again of who do I go to? Like, you know, if my, my like, you know, um, St. Joseph is the patron of carpenters. Who do I go to if like my carpentry build business needs customers or it's failing? Like, you know, who do I go to when I need help in this different area of my life? Like, you know, who do I go to if I'm looking, if I'm seeking romantic relationship or a partner, who's going to hear that cry? And it's like, you know, I think even in Christianity, we can get kind of, there's this kind of misconception within Christianity and Christian theology that kind of the earthly doesn't matter. And I can tell you that that's absolutely bullshit. Cause like, you know, I have to live in this world until I cross over. Like, Hello, you know. <laughs> and while I'm in it, it's gonna be lovely, okay? Exactly. And I think it's important to for those to realize is that magic comes from the place of struggle. Like, you know, magic in the practice of magic comes from the place of need and the place of struggle. And so, like, you know, the saints are here to help us within our magical workings, to help us um, to kind of achieve in this lifetime, to achieve some satisf satisfaction within this life and to make this life so much better so that we can, like, you know, live in our best life. Like, you know, like... Um, hey, yes, yes. <laughs> bringing heaven to earth. Exactly. Um, again, just to bring up St. Therese, like, one of my favorite quotes of um, St. Therese is, like, she said, you know, I'll spend my entire heaven doing good on earth. And it's so um, indicative, even though she's the one who said it, um, it's so indicative of all the saints um, that I deal with and I work with in my magical practice is that, you know, that they spend their heaven or their afterlife, however you look at the afterlife, even if you don't believe in necessarily the Christian concept of heaven, like, you know, they're spending this time um, doing that good on earth. Um, I look at the bodhisattvas of Buddhism. And like, you know, like the saints really are just kind of the Christian bodhisattvas, you know, they're the ones who have stayed behind to kind of help along the path. Wow, that is beautiful. Well, I know what we're going to be talking about, I think. Well, I, let me say I know what questions I have, because I would love to get deeper into your Shinto roots as yes. well and, and dive into that vein of spirituality with your Japanese experience and how that integrates with your Catholic experience. And uh, I would also like to know a little bit more about um, your shadow boxes and what they do, because I saw that your shadow boxes and that that's all very visual. So uh, maybe we can get deeper into those kinds of conversations too on part two of this conversation, which like I mentioned earlier, family is gonna be visual. So I, we're gonna conclude this portion, which is our audio portion. This is gonna be available on the Christian Witches Podcast tonight at 8 p.m. So the Christian Witches Podcast is, is recorded here on Clubhouse. So the recording will go on our Christian Witches Podcast. Our whole family all over the world that listens to the podcast can get it. And it will be on the Christian Witches Podcast tonight at 8 p.m. And I will link in the podcast show notes to Michael Therese. I said Therese, I apologize. Therese, okay. 
McQueen <laughs> and to his Sacred Eyes Tarot, to his website, to all his incredible work on the planet and to his Instagram. Is there anything else you want us to link to or you want to share with our podcast listeners? And then uh, later on, you and I will be on video and family, you'll be able to see the video on Witchy Wednesday. It'll be released this Witchy Wednesday on both the Christian Witches YouTube channel and the Valerie Love TV channel. So for our podcast listeners, any, any closing thoughts? I just think um, if you've never thought of working with the saints or if you've never um, embraced or thought of venturing into um, this aspect of spirit work, I think that there's a treat there waiting for you. And I think it can be an, a, a surprising um, a surprising path to be on or a surprising way of working from people of multiple views and multiple paths. Um, again, like you don't have to be Catholic to work with the saints. You can, ha you don't have to have anything to do with the Catholic church, but it, it's like, there's such a wide variety of, um, of allyship that's available to you. It's just kind of like you kind of have to step your toe in and see where that kind of leads you. And so that's just kind of my closing remarks for now. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Michael, so much for taking your time, your Sunday. We know last Sunday was your birthday, so happy birthday! Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> I know you had a ball with the saints and people on the planet, too, I'm sure. Right. And I just, uh, I just so thank you for being a guiding light and a beautiful presence on the planet and a teacher willing to share your journey and your experience with the saints and connecting all of us to the saints and a whole cadre of thousands of beings that I wasn't really necessarily connected to that now I am. And now I'm going to explore, especially in relationship with St. Anna, because she just ding, 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 like, let's, let's, uh, let's connect. So thank you. And we'll talk in just a little bit. Thank you so much for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. All right, family, this will be live on the Christian Witches podcast. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you. I love you. ChristianWitches.com. Have a beautiful afternoon. Peace.